Hello, Hello everyone. everyone. Thank you for joining us for our talk about the American Pit Bull Terrier. We originally thought this talk would be about an hour and a half to two hours, but after getting into pit bulls and just the depth of information we want to discuss and the information we found out there, we decided to make this a two-part series. So this is part one. I have been working in rescue with pit bulls and pit bull mixes for 13 years but I am not nearly the walking encyclopedia of pit bulls like my friend and mentor Phyllis Mooland is. I'll tell you a little bit about her background with pit bulls. She started training dogs when she was uh, 15, I believe, and also read everything she could get her hands on. When she was a little bit older, she started an American Pit Bull Terrier Rescue, which involved taking owner surrenders, dogs that were confiscated for dog fighting and other such things by animal control, and then rehabilitating them and finding them homes. She had usually about nine pit bull terriers in her home at once. She has been training them now for 37 years, give or take. She also was trained to be on the pit bull task force in Virginia and she also was in the movie Off the Chain, directed by Bobby J. Brown in 2005. Off the Chain is a documentary about dogfighting in the Washington, D.C. area. Phyllis's home at the time was used as a location for the film to show how nice pit bulls can be with children and as family pets. I got interested in pit bulls basically from hearing Phyllis talk about them and how much she loves the breed. But when I was in Virginia, I mostly rescued hounds and hound mixes. It wasn't until I moved out to New Mexico that I started fostering pit bulls and bully-type mixed dogs. And then I finally understood why Phyllis loved them so much, because they are amazing dogs. Very loyal, very sweet, easy to handle and train, usually are good around almost any people. In New Mexico, almost every dog we've ever DNA tested has some pit bull in it. I still love my hound dogs, but pit bulls have won my heart along with the hounds now. So a little bit about this particular podcast. One is we are not professional directors or producers. We don't have professional recording equipment. So we do our best with the sound quality. I think you'll find that the information contained is, is worth listening to. Secondly, we want to make sure that it is clear we do not condone dogfighting in any way. In the state I live in, we still see signs of it in animal rescue and in shelters. And dogs are definitely still kept like fighting. Dogs were kept on chains with minimal housing. Thirdly, we want to stress the importance to not try some of the things that we mention in this podcast. Phyllis has almost four decades of experience with American Pit Bull Terriers. She has learned how to deal with these dogs through experience, frankly has an uncanny way of knowing what to do with certain dogs at certain times to help them. She has been training American Pit Bull Terriers to become family pets for the rescue that she operated, plus for many, many clients throughout the years. Throughout this podcast, we'll talk about Phyllis's past experiences and some of the things we see present day that are a little bit concerning. 
And we'll also discuss somewhat of how she trained American Pit Bull Terriers that would be predisposed to have some dog aggression problems. We hope the information contained here will be worthwhile, educational, and interesting to you all. Summarize your experience with pit bulls, how you got started with pit bulls, because you grew up in like suburban Washington, D.C. Yes. And how you learned about them and what made you interested in them in the first place. I'm hesitating because I think I looked at books. I was always researching breeds and dogs, you know, growing up. So I had books about the breed and I was fascinated with how they looked and what their temperaments were to be. They just sounded like an all-around great dog. And everybody then really had German Shepherds and, and whatnot. And actually, my first pit bull, um, huh, I won a race. <laughs> and I got her for winning a car race. Um, lucky for her, she would have otherwise been a fighting dog. Who was that? She Chasta? actually was crossed, though. That, that would have been Chasta. Yeah. So she was mixed, um, and already at about six weeks, eight weeks, they were already, quote-unquote, trying to school her to fight. Um, and there was a street in Wharton, Virginia, where everybody had pit bulls in the mid-'80s. And sadly, a lot of those dogs were being fought. In Lorton, so, Virginia? In Lorton, Virginia, which is very close to Lorton Prison. And maybe 30 minutes from D.C. or so. Dog fighting and cop fighting were things that they did. And, you know, so I won the race. I won the dog. I got her out of that situation. Um, they, they had cut her tail off, actually. They had not cropped her ears. Hmm. And that's how I got started. And we should probably clarify that you learned all this from reading the material that you read. I read uh, lots of material and I questioned dog fighters. So when you were in Lorton, I mean, did you like hang out with those guys and that's where you learned all this stuff or, or I where? hung out in the background. Yeah. When I was young I <laughs> I hung in a not so great crowd and those people were involved so I would see things and you know, I actually got in trouble for stealing somebody's pit bull off their front porch. <laughs> she was pregnant, getting ready to drop her puppies. Forget about the fact that I didn't put enough mud on my license plate. And they got it and called the police on me. And as soon as I got home, I had police show up. And that poor dog ended up going back to her house, so I got smarter after that. Right. Oh, my God. What did your um, mom say? Well, gee, you know, who knows? I mean, I got a slap on the wrist. I didn't get arrested or anything. I don't even remember going to court. I gave them the dog, and they took the dog back to these people. Right. Um, and they didn't press any charges. And it was on that same street that I did my race car thing and yeah. and won custody of that pit bull, mostly pit bull mix. You look so, so, you look so normal. <laughs> it cracks me Oh, up. when yeah. I was younger? <laughs> or now? <laughs> Both. Just oh, well, up. you know, there was a guy up the street that had a bunch of pit bulls and he somehow got a hold of a white boxer and his way of schooling his dogs was to tie the boxer in the middle where he couldn't do anything, fend for himself and was on either side. I actually still have pictures of that dog. He was 
very badly torn up. Mm. That was my second rescue dog. And then it just went from there. All right. So how many pit bulls do you think you've trained or had in your house over the last 37 years? Probably too many to count. When I was tattooing them, it was somewhere in the 200s. I helped a lot of people that had pit bulls. If they had a pit bull but couldn't afford dog training, I would help them out. I wouldn't charge them anything. I just wanted the dog to have a good home. So rather than taking the dog in to rescue, I would help those people try to keep their dogs. Another way to do rescue help people yes help keep dogs in homes and then you had you had clients actually hire you to train their pit bulls right yeah yeah and again too many i have no idea how many when i was really into rescue my cap was nine Uh don't ask me why nine but i had 13 to 15 dogs in my house and then i had an average of nine pit bulls on top of that that were in for rescue yeah. When I first got started. Huh. I bet my neighbors loved me back then. <laughs> I'm wondering how you I managed actually, to do actually, that. Yeah. You know, my dogs got poisoned at one time. Hmm. You know, so people didn't like pit bulls then either. Right. I tattooed all my dogs and in the beginning, like an idiot, those dogs had my social security number on them. Oh my god. Yeah, because that's how we did it in the beginning. Oh, Thank God they're all that's before the internet now (laughs) and uh Uh that was before the internet and identity oh yes before the internet before cell phones yeah Ah, i'm old so or microchips no microchips so we would tattoo these dogs and and then i changed it to literally written out somewhere i probably got pictures actually darla's tattooed i don't know what number she is but she's tattooed apbt rescue number and then the veterinarian that was tattooing the dogs started putting hearts on them. <laughs> I was going to ask if, came out. if you did that yourself. <laughs> um, uh, we did. We had tattoo parties where we would give the dogs ace promising and tattoo them on my deck. <laughs> oh, and then people could, anybody who adopted, you know, had rescue dogs or whatever, they could tattoo them. Uh-huh. And they would put whatever they wanted to on their dogs. Oh, so, my gosh. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it wasn't terrible. It would just be a number or something. You know, somehow they, they could be you know, connected to the dog. One person got a little heart on their dog's chest. Oh, and so back Uh, then, like, how did you learn about stuff? Because there was no internet, right? No, no. No, I mean, um, Washington Post would post pit bulls for sale. Real pit bulls. APBT. In the Washington Post. And that's how they would have it posted. If you go to the American Dog Breeders Association, which is in, and I used to get this magazine, actually, the American Pit Bull Terrier Gazette. So let's say again that this is a breed that does not exist. Yeah. It is the oldest. (laughs) Yeah. Most of these dogs that we call bully breeds today. Yeah. And it had its own magazine. Really? Which back in the day... Before the internet, magazines, like, you'd wait for that magazine to come every month, you know? That's right. It was, you know, it was a good, cool thing to get your magazine and sit down and read it. Still, it's still in print. Oh, really? Ah, it's digital now. Issued quarterly since 1976. Huh. For anyone out there that doesn't believe the American Pitbull Terrier exists, 
please check out the ADBA website that stands for American Dog Breeders Association. This association has existed since 1909. When I first started rescuing pit bulls, I told you that I would go into a shelter and I'd be lucky to have one dog that I would say, this, this dog has just got a problem that I can't, I can't help. Right. It's too aggressive because there, there was no aggression. I would end up leaving with two or three because I didn't want to leave them all behind because in some of these shelters, I was the only person that they would release dogs to. Now that changed years later, but for many years, I was it. And so I wait, knew if I wait. walked out that door, those dogs were going to be euthanized. Are you saying what they were. that shelters used to investigate the rescues they would release dogs to? Yes. Wow, what a concept. Well, because you know what else? They would otherwise have to be euthanized. No, but I, but I mean now, now. Now I think it's like we just get all the dogs out and they don't even care. They just want them out the door. Well, exactly. They want them that's, to live. It's about numbers. That's what I'm yes, saying. No, that is, that is exactly what I'm saying to you. Yeah. Because now yeah. all you have to do is flash your 501c3 and they'll just give you a dog for free. Yeah, but I don't have a 501c3, so now it's hard for me to get a dog out of shelter. <laughs> <laughs> all breeds you should be educated on before you you place them in a home because I think breed is important with most dogs. And they all have their special thing, right? Yes. It's at least something to take into consideration at the very least. Yeah. And, and we've got people that are taking them for the wrong reasons now. Mm -hmm. When I first got involved in pit bulls, there were still states that pit bull fighting was not illegal. Yeah. When I first started, I would get papers on pit bulls. Not am staffs, not dual registered dogs. Dual registered dogs are cross between an American Pit Bull Terrier and American Staffordshire Terrier. Mm. This is before the American Bully was even created. I had dogs come in Jeep bloodlines. I had Hemp Hill dogs. I had dogs with generations of old family red nose. You know, some of these pedigrees, I may still have them. Um, I had. Two dogs from Carbone Bulldogs, which had a very lengthy pedigree. I think I got a good seven generation pedigree on that, and we can pull that out and go through it. Mm. After rescuing a lot of APBTs, Phyllis started seeing a lot of dogs that were dual registered, meaning with the UKC and AKC, and also American Pit Bull Terrier mixes mixed with Amstaff or other dogs. And here she describes some of the problems she saw with those dogs. The registered dogs, finding that there were problems because sometimes they weren't even dog aggressive at all. But when they weren't, they were typically human aggressive, which was a problem. Right. Nerves were not as tight. They were nervous. And you would get a dog that was nervous with humans and dog aggressive, which was not great. Health problems are blues and more blue in that cross. I started going back to shelters to to pull dogs more from Southern Virginia and a lot of inner cities like, you know, Washington, D.C., Baltimore, New York City. You know, even close to Baltimore, there were a lot of pit bulls there. Mm -hmm. The purpose of that was to get back to rescuing real pit bulls. Right. Not outcrosses because those dogs were not sound. 
And that was the beginning of destroying the American Pit Bull Terrier, crossing it with breeds that should never be crossed with. Pit bulls should not be crossed with guard dogs. They're not guard dogs. In the mid-90s, I was seeing a lot of dogs coming from a particular bloodline, and they were dual registered. And those dogs were coming to me by large numbers. These dogs sadly had serious behavioral issues. In some cases, these dogs would have a towards other dogs that would be intense yet driven by fear. And they would also, in some cases, be fearful and really nervous around humans, also a bite risk. I would not take human aggressive dogs. And actually, that's when I started not taking dogs anymore from pet owners because of the, the number of dogs that were coming to me that, that suffered the consequence of, of poor genetics and poor breeding. Pit bulls should never be nervous around a human. Soft energy with humans is correct. Nervous is incorrect. And so these dogs would be very nervous. Most of them had skin problems. Most of them were blue or what we call blue fawns. We see a lot of submissive urination in, in the females. They could be dog aggressive and human aggressive. And they could be very, very high prey driven dogs also. Most of them did not look like pit bulls to me. To call these crosses flat out pit bulls is you know, devastating to me. American pit bull terriers had great temperaments. These dogs were not stable. So now we're going to go back a little bit and talk about breed history and Phyllis's thoughts about the breed and what has happened to it over the years. Uh, the very first recognized American pit bull terrier was recognized by the United Kennel Club in 1898. This is a very old breed. Yeah. And they do exist. Because I see things on the, you know, on the internet saying, this is not a breed, this is just a name for a dog that people used because they fought dogs, but they're not real. Uh, they are real. They're still real. They're still here. I think a lot of people very easily just kind of throw the name Pitbull around. Yeah. And you see people who call themselves Pitbull people and they can't spell it. American Pitbull Terrier. Pitbull is two words, two L's, not two T's. It's not P-I-B-B-L-E? Um, and it's not <laughs> one word either. And it's not a Pitbull. <laughs> it is an American Pitbull Terrier. And yes, the bred for dog fighting, which made them the least likely dog to ever bite a human. Let's get back to a little bit of like, how, how did you get started training lots of pit bulls and how many have you, okay, let's, let's back up a little more. How many pit bulls do you think you've trained and what did you usually train them for? Oh my gosh. I think you start with one question at a time. Okay. (laughs) So how did you get started training pit bulls? Were you just in that kind of environment and people started asking you to train their dog? I will be the first to admit the very first trainer I got involved in was heavy in the uh, protection work. And though I disagree with protection training American pit bull terriers, that's not what they're bred for. 
I did participate in that with two of my dogs. Uh, I forgot about that guy. And of course, you know, young, 17 years old, my first pit bull. You know, when she was about six, seven months old, they're recognizing her to be a pit bull. And there were issues back then. People were starting to have concerns about breed. Yeah. I went to a dog trainer who did group classes and I I put her in a group class and in three weeks she was off leash and she was doing great and the guy offered me a job and that's how I got started training dogs. I was still in high school and I was training dogs on the weekends and I stuck with it for um, <laughs> a long time. <laughs> I was 17 anyway. and you're... About, about <laughs> you know, I did group classes for probably about a year. I'm hesitating because I don't know how long. And then when I was out of high school, before I graduated, <laughs> I took a job there and I, I lived at the training facility and uh, the, the guy got me badly bitten by a German Shepherd, Malinois Cross. Yeah. And so I went on to other things but i was already starting to get involved in training pitbulls after i left there and i i worked with bob yeah and then uh started i would say let's see 1989 i started apvt rescue at that point in time was the first one that i knew existed in the united states because i was getting calls from everywhere from all over. I had dogs coming from New York. I had dogs coming from Florida. I had dogs coming. And it, it, in those days, we, we didn't have the internet. So we had a little booklet that kind of floated about uh, local animal shelters and it had a breed rescue list. I mm. was it for pit bulls nah. nationwide at that time. I was the only one on the list. Not saying I was the only one in existence, but. I advertised my dogs for adoption in the Washington Post, the Washington Blade and the local connection newspapers. That's how I found them homes. And I, my goal was that all those dogs would be trained. The dogs would live with me from anywhere from two months to up to a year. And I, I obedience trained the dogs and I exposed them to all kinds of things. And most importantly, tested them for temperament. Although at the time I didn't know what I was doing. I would not take a human aggressive dog, Right. period. Pit bulls were not known to be skittish nervous around humans and the rare instance that i would have a dog that would stay with me and would begin to go through my program if that dog displayed any form of human aggression i would take the dog out of my program and i would choose to have that dog euthanized or if i signed a contract with a shelter and the dog had to be returned the dog would be returned to the shelter now I know a lot of you are like, but I heard on the news pit bulls killed so-and-so, and I know someone who was killed by a pit bull, and pit bulls are aggressive, because that's what you've heard. But if you go in the historic literature, that is not the case. I have a quote from Richard Stratton's book. It says, however, the pit bull with people has one of the most dependable and stable dispositions of all dogs. In fact, I don't know of another breed that can be severely injured and still be handled without fear of having him bite you. And then in the UKC and ADBA standards, man aggression, or in UKC, they call it viciousness, is a disqualifying trait. Now, 
we get calls all the time where it's like, you know, I have a pit bull and it, it, it bit the neighbor. Right. And then I get this picture of this 100-pound overdone mixed breed. And upon doing DNA tests, find there's no pit bull in that dog whatsoever. None, zero. Yeah. But it's labeled a pit bull. It's labeled a pit bull now at the animal shelter where it went into quarantine because it bit somebody. And the statistics rise not in favor of the real American pit bull terrier. I'm not saying they're never human aggressive. They should not be, and it is rare. So one of the comments that came up in the post I made was that there were human aggressive lines. Yes, Bully Sun being one of them. Solid white dogs being another to be aware of. Hmm. Just to do a little fact-checking, I found references to Bullison lines being human-aggressive in Richard Stratton's books, and also from some online forums such as GoPitBull.com. Were those dogs allowed to participate in the dog fights if they couldn't break it up? I would say no. Yeah, I'm just curious, like, why would they breed them? I was looking at a book called The American Pit Bull Terrier History of Fighting Dogs. Copyright was 1936 by Joseph Colby. And in the back, there's lots of copies of ads that I assume went in some kind of newspapers at the time. And several of these ads mention how the dogs for sale will fight. Uh, There's one... That says, we have nothing but game-tested fighting dogs, the kind that win money. And then there's another one that says, he's not only well-bred, but a good-looking, proven game, high-class fighting dog, and a pit winner. Sadly enough, this was and still is this breed's reality in many cases. I also, in the same book, I found the rules of dog fighting. They try to make it seem like it's a quote-unquote gentleman's sport which I don't think anyone who could watch animals do this to each other is a gentleman. In the rules, number 20, it says, should either dog become fanged, the referee shall order a pickup and allow the principal to unfang his dog, then immediately order them to put down, put them down two feet apart and give the word let go. Principals can unfang their dogs with their hands without picking them up if the referee so decides. That little... Gem kind of confirms the fact that dog fighters would have to get the dogs apart. The dog fighters were going into the pit, handling the dogs with their hands and un- unhooking the dogs from each other. So obviously, you wouldn't want a dog that would turn around and maul your hand if you did that. In addition to that, each principal, which I think was the dog fighter, was allowed to wash the opponent's dog in the ring. And so you definitely wouldn't want to wash someone else's dog if the dog was going to attack you or be sensitive about maybe washing its feet or something like that. This was to avoid anyone putting poison on the coat of their dog that would in turn poison their opponent's dog when they were fighting. So finding this information substantiates the quote-unquote myth that pit bull terriers will not bite their handlers. Of course, there's outliers to this, 
So back to the bully sin breed discussion. That's the first dog that I remember that was bred for man stopping, mm. human aggression. Yeah. We now have a very serious dog. Yeah. But I would not call it a pit bull. Right. It's called something else. Again, we want to make clear that we realize that some pit bulls are probably human aggressive and have attacked people. But this is not the norm for the breed. In Richard Stratton's book, it says, It would be unrealistic, however, to say that no pit bull has ever done any damage to any human. First, some of our dogs are attack trained by people that want to utilize them as protection dogs, which Phyllis disagrees with. Second, as in all breeds, there will be some that are behaviorally defective and therefore untrustworthy with humans. On Diane Jessup's website, she also has several truths about pit bulls. And truth number six says, with people, American pit bulls are one of, if not the most, friendliest and most loving breeds. Their pain tolerance makes them tolerant of children's rough play, and their confidence gives them a temperament owners don't need to make excuses for. A pit bull which snaps or snarls at people is not representative of the breed, and behavior like that is indicative of poor genetics. Serious breeders cull, which means euthanize, animals which display poor temperament in order to help maintain the high standard that historical breeders have handed to us. Phyllis and I delve into the history of the American Staffordshire Terrier versus the American Pitbull Terrier and start with Pete the Pup, who played the dog on Little Rascals. One of the first dogs to be registered as a Staffordshire Terrier before they called them American Staffordshire Terriers by AKC. He was also registered by the UKC as a purple ribbon dog, so purple ribbon Peter. A purple ribbon bred dog was a term used by the United Kennel Club to designate dogs whose ancestors have been registered with that registry for a number of generations. Pete the Pup, well, his name Petey. He died in 1946. He lived to be 18. The Little Rascals dog, wow. That's yes. old for... He was, well, he, no, he was healthy because he was stable, physically, psychologically, and genetically. So he was bred to who, or... What was it you said? What we call a cold dog, a dog that didn't want to fight because they didn't want uh, American Staffordshire Terriers are meant to be a show dog. They were not meant to be a fighting dog. And so they bred Petey, Little Rascal's dog, to a cold female? A, a dog that did not want to fight. Interesting. That was the original history. Here we talk a little bit about genetics and how selecting the dogs that are being bred and their temperament is super important. Anytime you breed down genetics to be something it was not originally meant to be, you can end up diluting it right there, and then you end up with any kind of weakness in temperament. So if you breed what they call then a cold dog, a dog that didn't want to fight, but a dog that's nerves were not solid, this represented that for being soft or what we call submissive and end up with a defensive dog, that's mm. how we end up starting to breed in human aggression into this breed also. And I love American Staffordshire Terriers. They are not supposed to be human aggressive either, but that's where you can start weakening something. Look at the German Shepherd. Yeah. 
that what they were been diluted from a strong working dog and this is why we have so many fearful german shepherds now yeah and dogs that are again dilute because they have so much weakness and health etc a lovely dog again that's been destroyed yeah and we're destroying the american pitbull terrier by calling dogs that have the propensity for human aggression a pitbull yeah because if the breed's already in trouble we already have bully breed bands but yet we're all go-getters we're all going to go out there and we're going to stop that let's educate people on what they really are these dogs need to be labeled what they are if they have a bite uh, we see old english bulldogs they're bred for being guard dogs mm. territorial they're great with the family they're not great with visitors you know there are all kinds of different bully breeds out there or what we used to call in the 80s bull breeds we didn't call them bullies right i don't have a problem with calling them bullies but it really kind of kind of makes it where we're trying to soften something make so them cuter and something <laughs> now we're going to try to sugarcoat something yeah they are and always will be potentially wanting to fight with other dogs yeah especially if the other dog initiates it <laughs> i've had many pit bulls and for years and years and years they show absolutely nothing around dogs that don't try to fight with them right They're fine yeah but don't take them to a dog park and have conflict in their life this is a breed that loves to play it loves to go out it loves to be athletic it loves to do things doesn't want conflict with humans with that wake-up call happens and you may have a dog that now is happy to fight mm -hmm. so don't take your pit bull to the dog park don't take your bull breed to the dog park yeah you can't socialize out genetics I have a little quote from the joseph colby book to support this it says he was a beautiful dog and never started a fight would play with other dogs just like a puppy but if a dog jumped on him it was just too bad because he absolutely would not fight unless some cur dog came along and started it. This little story is an example about how pit bulls can be fine with dogs until they feel challenged and then they're not. So we're going to go back to Phyllis describing more of this idea in, and clarifying it. Elaborate a little bit about the different levels of dog aggression in American pit bull terriers. I mean, is every single one of them super dog aggressive or are there variances? There, there are a lot of variants actually, what I've seen. I've seen many pit bulls that get barked and lunged at and all kinds of things by little chihuahuas and they don't even pay them any mind. It's like not even a bother. I've seen pit bulls that have zero dog aggression unfortunately a lot of those have some human aggression they do exist too look at darla right darla had zero zero dog aggression and is great great with people. people she also has cleft jaw so she would be putting her life on the line if she were to push her weight around let's say mm -hmm. right she knows that too duchess was not dog aggressive at all she was a bit protective of us and philip though i wouldn't call her human aggressive i would say that she was very aware she never barked at anybody went after anybody but she would step in front especially with philip when he was younger mm. 
and I've had different levels of dog aggression when there's no there's no other dog is trying to start anything and everything's pretty peaceable they're they're perfectly fine being around other dogs mm-hmm. but if they are in a situation where a dog wants to start to spar they'll very quickly wake up and go yeah well okay what I call earlier in a wake up call right they may not walk away from something and then there are some that are intensely dog aggressive and very quiet and they will watch dogs and they will go after a dog no matter what and right away yeah so there are absolutely different levels of it I've seen many that would fight with their own breed and have no interest in any other dog I believe that's genetic well in here it seems to be like people have a pit bull and a chihuahua in the same household a lot. <laughs> uh, you know, I've had pit bulls and chihuahuas for as long as I've been involved with pit bulls. Yeah. Actually. I don't know um, why that is. It seems to work. I mean, maybe because the chihuahuas are so little. I don't know. I mean, they could be eaten two seconds. It's like not a bother. Right. And chihuahuas are actually quite confident. Yeah. And, you know, very... Uh, genetically sound yes. a lot of them not super tiny and and uh bred improperly they're not supposed to be what what do you call it teacup right right a lot of those are unhealthy and nervous and um they have health problems too young and and they're just not they're just not sound well, and it's kind of like, uh, I think I read somewhere, you know, it's like breeding service dogs. Even though you're purposely breeding dogs, not every dog serves that purpose. Oh, of course not. That would be the case in, in I you think, know, I've many different of breeds of dogs being bred that for different live together purposes. And are perfectly fine. However, I still would separate them if nobody was home. Right. Because, you know, if something happened to set off one of my other pack dogs and somebody starts barking at the door and there's any challenge from one to the other. Mm. Always the potential of a fight. Right. It doesn't mean it will happen. doesn't mean that I haven't left pit bulls loose in the house together. I have, but there are many that I haven't. Yeah. And, and instructions I would give somebody if I adopted out multiple dog households, same thing. You know, and it's just because of that's the way it is. I mean, let's take a greyhound and leave it loose in the house and have bunny rabbits and a big picture with them. <laughs> because, you know, and, and better yet, let's take one off the racetrack and have a big picture window with bunnies in the yard and have a greyhound. Right. It's almost unfair. All breeds are bred for a purpose. Otherwise, we wouldn't breed them. Their reason was bred for dog fighting. And so, yes, a lot of them can be very dog aggressive. And once again, if we are being good to this breed, why would we take it and put it at a dog park? And why would we take it and put it in a, a play care, uh, meaning daycare that is just chaos? Yeah. Right? Well, you don't want to set the dog up for failure. Correct. And I'm not saying they can't be managed properly. They can't. Or that they are, there are pit bulls out there that haven't gotten into a fight. Well, that's how we bred the American Staffordshire Terrier. You know, there are, there are lots of pointers that don't want to hunt. Yeah. They're, you know, 
the Rottweilers who are big babies. Right. You know, and they're not territorial at all. Uh, there's just there's many different breeds that are bred for different purposes, and you might not necessarily get that. But if you are involved with the American Pit Bull Terrier, the generalization should be they can be dog aggressive. They should be in single dog households unless they are with a savvy owner. And they should be with somebody who in the first place isn't thinking about going to the dog park. Yeah. Can yeah. you can you clarify the difference between the wake-up call you're talking about at the dog park versus a dog all of a sudden their temperament changes or all of a sudden they become dog aggressive or human aggressive? And this can happen with a dog very late in life. I've seen it happen in dogs that are seven or eight years old. They don't just suddenly turn. They got into a fight. The other dog didn't back off and they ended up hurting a dog because the person who had the dog decided to take it to the dog park and think that its genetics didn't matter and think that it would socialize out its genetics by taking it to the dog park and everything was fine and dandy until some dog tries to hump it and gets corrected. Dog doesn't walk away, keeps coming, keeps coming. Then there's a, there's an active fight. And the other dog doesn't give up readily, you have a problem. I guess my explanation of that would be that the genetics are always, have always been there. It just took a certain incident for it to. I mean, I've seen a wake up call happen in a <laughs> six month old puppy that decided to get into a fight with another dog and just decided it didn't want to stop. Yeah. It's not, it's not a. You know, often people say, oh, it's, you know, they're two or three years old and they hit maturity and all of a sudden they're, no, they showed plenty of signs saying that they weren't okay with being threatened by other dogs, whether it be on a leash walk and they're throwing body language out with the neighbor dog that's going crazy behind the fence. They told you something right there. You just didn't see it. People miss things all the time. A wake up call can happen in dog later in life. And what I mean by that is, I don't know. You have somebody who has a, has a dog that they've had in their home for, I don't know, let's take a wild guess and say six or seven years old. This pit bull has gone for walks in the neighborhood with other dogs. They have relatives, which they've introduced this dog to properly, that have stable temperaments. Not been sparring with other dogs its whole life. Everything is just perfectly fine. And somebody says, hey, my golden retriever loves other dogs, and here comes the golden, and the golden's ready to fight. And it gets up in this pit bull's face and things start and there's dog fight. And now the next golden retriever that dog sees, he might think about it again. And so that's a wake up call. I just got in a dog fight. My genetics just came to me. Or I kind of think of it as like, maybe someone's never gotten to taste chocolate, but once they taste it, they decide they like it. But the, the propensity, <laughs> the, the genetics and the propensity to enjoy it was or always there. They just didn't get the chance to. Correct. <laughs> the, genetics, the genetics were always there. We have had multiple calls when you ask me about training. I can't tell you how many calls I've had of people who people to, and I'm going to say this very carefully, a very poorly managed doggy daycare yeah. where it's all free for all in a frenzy of wrestling and chaos. 
not a well orchestrated thing uh, that is managed correctly with many people being observant of the dog's behavior and understanding what's in front of them. Right. So these dogs go in and then there's chaos and all of a sudden, you know, it seems that this dog has turned because he's five years old and it gets in a dog fight for the first time. And then that dog fight turns real and that other dog gets hurt and they go, well, my five-year-old pit bull never got in a dog fight before. Well, it never got challenged like that before. Yeah. And, and that is a wake up call. That is not that the dog suddenly turned you know, that there were no warning signs. There were warning signs that dog threw out body language and the people that were in the daycare didn't recognize that as saying, well, maybe we shouldn't put this dog with another dog that might, you know, try to spar. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, and they don't recognize the difference between sparring and playfulness. Yes. Not for nothing. A lot of these places are indoor, very tight quarters, which is unfair, you know, lots of dogs if it's not being orchestrated properly yeah i well (laughs) daycares is a whole nother topic we could talk about but um i'm you know as for the average daycare out there uh i usually don't recommend them just curious though would you even recommend that for like a american pitbull terrier to one place in utah My question is, what good does it do for a dog that may not even care to be around dogs to go to daycare? I don't recommend it for for any dog, really, unless they're properly orchestrated, which most of them are not. Yeah. And I think this is where we, you know, I need to shout out a name and say this is the only place I've seen it done right. And if it's followed to, uh, under that protocol, check it out online. You see your local doggy daycare is managed in the same routine. It's something you can consider. Just in case you all are wondering which place we're talking about, it's Canine Lifeline in Draper, Utah, run by Heather Beck. But these dogs don't want to romp and run and play and frolic with other dogs. And in most cases in dog parks, that's not what happened. That's not what's happening either. For another podcast, we'll talk about that. Yeah. And this is a breed that's bred for dog fighting. So if it doesn't have its human leadership, which is very, very willing to, to accept, then it's, it, and it's allowed to make its own decisions, and another dog makes the wrong decision, now all of a sudden you have a dog fight. And the next time that opportunity comes up, the dog's ready to go again. Only they're better at it. Right. And it's, and in some cases they would go into that environment and they get into a fight immediately. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and there, and there are going to be a lot of people out there that are going to go, I have like lots of pit bulls in my daycare and we've never had a problem. Yes, we don't see a lot of purebred American pit bull terriers out there either. That's part of what we're talking about in this discussion. If they're outcross, they're mixed breeds, you might have one that gets into too much of what we call rough play, which is really not play, and it's really not a fight either, and then the human gets bit when they try to stop it. Mm-hmm. But then it gets labeled a pit bull. And that I see a lot. I see a lot. Yeah. Would taking your pit bull or maybe any dog, aggressive dog, right? Doesn't have to be a pit bull. It could be a lab or golden retriever. And yes, we've seen those to a properly run daycare. And we're talking about canine lifeline or other places that are run 
to that standard, would that help the dog just be a little more social, like being able to take it to on a walk at a park where there might be an off-leash dog? You know, that way it wouldn't be such a big deal to that dog because it's already used to being around dogs. Like I could see that as a purpose of taking a dog to a place like that, but not your average doggy daycare. That is probably going, yeah. Yeah, and to a trainer that that incorporates, you know, dogs in pack walks or, um, you know, well-run groups of dogs. Jason Vasconi. Yes, absolutely. Uh, And I'm sure there's other people out there that, that do similar things, but these people know how to read dogs. And, and I do similar things, you know, dogs are in my pack of dogs and that's how I do it. You know, there are many different ways that these dogs can be exposed to other dogs and if properly done a hundred percent, but what we don't want to do is put them in a situation for what I'm calling wake up call, which is it's all pure chaos and wrestling and a free for all with no, you know, proper management on the human's part. We're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about how Phyllis maintained a pack of dogs and what her first dog training experiences were like. I lived in a house with nine pit bulls, two Neapolitan Mastiffs, two Chihuahuas, a pit bull mix, a cattle dog, Dingo Cross, and a husky Australian Shepherd and a hound Doberman. However many dogs that is, they all lived in the same house together. This was a long time ago, right? This was a long time ago. Yeah, this was my, that was my first pack. Yeah. That was when I wanted to see if I could have a whole bunch of pit bulls together. Right. And I could, but well, why could I? Because there was no conflict in the house. I didn't get them all crazy and wild and doing things with... But how did you exercise them, Phyllis? Bringing up prey. I used treadmills. I walked the heck out of them. I exercised them. I did lots of obedience training back in that day. Um, I took my dogs everywhere. They needed their go-getters. They want to go out and they want to do stuff. Yeah. And I was in a lot, you know, a lot more athletic myself then. You know, right. I could handle a big pack of dogs like that. Yeah. Right? My Neapolitans were both, well, one of them was okay. One of them was extremely dangerous with people. Yeah. Which is why I took him because, you know. One must have a challenge when you first start training dogs. <laughs> and that was one of the only dog fights I actually had to break up, too. With, uh, um, was his name Ogre? Um, was that Ogre? Yes, Ogre. My Neapolitan Mastiff that was about 150 pounds in my solid white, black nose American Pit Bull Terrier. And I actually thought the Neo had the Pit Bull by the head, but the Pit Bull had the inside of his mouth. Mm. I'm talking about taking about 13 dogs out of the yard at the same time to break up one dog fight amongst two dogs uh, when you're by yourself. Yeah. Um, so I learned not to have dog fights because that wasn't any fun. Right. Um, but nobody redirected on me, including the Neo, even though we thought about it. I had four dog fights in four decades. It's not bad when you live with a house full of pit bulls for many, 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 many years. But I also learned from those you can't get them all worked up around each other. Yeah. Because eventually, eventually, they're going to get into it. Oh. I had actually was a six-month-old puppy. Mm. I put a hole clean through another dog's leg who just stood there and waited for me to take her off her leg. And the pit bull was just grinning, holding on. This is what I do. And I went, oops, well, that's a real red, red-nosed pit bull. Ah, that brings up another question. 
Yes. Somebody said that red nose and blue nose are backyard breeder terms and they don't really exist anymore. Everybody has to learn somewhere. Red red nose is, is one of the oldest pedigree American temple terriers. I mean, I see them here occasionally. Old family reds. Yeah. Very, very well bred as game dogs. They were fighting dogs. Actually, they there was a lot of double breeding and you know, keeping those lines, you know, and if you really know about dog breeding, to a certain degree, they, there is an agreement on line breeding, and that happened with those with those dogs. But if they're stable all the way back, you don't, uh, you actually don't end up with issues. Yeah. Like what you, think. you can enhance things if you have clean lines, but they have to be all the way back. If you have a negative in there, that negative is enhanced greater you can really end up with a problem going back to a little fact checking i researched old family reds online and found quite a bit about them i found the history of the old family reds or better known as red red noses pit bulls and it's written by richard stratton and he says that uh in ireland there was a family of dogs known as Old Family, and because there were a closed genetic pool, and that tends to slide towards recessive traits, the red color would come out. And so eventually the Old Family line became the Old Family Reds. Uh, when the dogs began coming to America, they were already beginning to show the red nose. And then there were a couple key breeders involved in this line. One of the key breeders was William Leitner, utilizing old family red bloodlines, came out with some red-nosed dogs that made a name for themselves. Dan McCoy was involved and Bob Wallace. If you guys are interested, you can look this up online at Old Family Reds. They'll say the old family red nose has several things going for it. First, it is renowned for its gameness. And second, some of the most reputable breeders in all pit bull history have contributed to the preservation and development of the strain. I went looking for red red noses on pedigrees and found quite a few. Um, on the video version of this, there's going. I'm going to put some of those on there. Diane Jessup's book, there's pictures of red red nose pit bull owned by Serona Kennels. So for something that supposedly is a backyard breeder thing, um, there sure is a lot of evidence that this strain was bred on purpose. It was line bred to increase the traits. And the experts in pit bulls acknowledged that it, it was a highly regarded and very good quality line of dogs. So I don't see what's very backyard breeder about that. And there's actually pedigrees of dogs registered that are red, red noses. So I think that uh, concludes that fact finding mission. Well, I don't know if I've told you, you know, there's this book that came out, I don't know, maybe five years ago called Pitbull by Bronwyn Dickey, and she's a journalist. She really isn't a dog person. I, I remember you talking about that. I, sadly, I don't think I, re I read that. 
I think I bought you a copy, but it's probably sitting no, on a sure shelf. I'm sure you did. It's probably on the, <laughs> sh- on the shelf with all the rest of the books I have. It's very interesting how she kind of ties that in with uh, discrimination of certain socioeconomic classes um, because those were the dogs that they had. And so those dogs were villainized more because of discrimination. And the Nazis did the same thing with um, dogs that Jewish people happened to have. They made those dogs seem like evil dogs. A little fact-checking, I found a couple articles about dogs of Jewish people during World War II in Germany and what happened. The first one is about Conrad Lorenz, and it hints at the fact that Germans like purebred dogs, which is no surprise and that Jewish dogs were sometimes mixed breeds, and so they were looked down upon. Uh, The other articles I found stated that Jewish people were eventually not allowed to own pets in Germany, uh, and they faked several reasons, like rabies. Um, But in 1942, they actually outlawed Jewish people owning pets, and the Jewish people had to choose between giving their pets to the Gestapo or euthanizing their pets. I am not trying to compare anything to Nazi Germany and the horrendous things that took place, but I think it's good to take a lesson from history and realize that propaganda can be very subtle against a group of people, including discrimination against the kinds of dogs they own or their rights to own dogs in general. I'm going to try and paraphrase the author of Pitbull, The Battle for an American Icon, Bronwyn Dickey, about the discrimination dogs have faced due to the types of people that supposedly own them. After World War II, dachshunds were discriminated against in the United States because they were German dogs. And then... German Shepherds also were discriminated against until Rin Tin Tin came out. And then he was, Rin Tin Tin saved a bunch of people. And so, you know, the German Shepherd was exonerated. The Pitbulls uh, went from being kind of an all-American family dog to being owned by minorities And unfortunately, sometimes used as guard dogs for, you know, gangs and that sort of thing. And so the, this is a quote um, from Bronwyn Dickey in an interview on Fresh Air. When the dogs became associated with the urban poor, then there was this move to ban them and eradicate them and to portray them as we know. Here is just one example of how American pit bull terriers have been wrongly accused of causing a large number of injuries and fatalities. According to Bronwyn Dickey's book, she did, um, she did a lot of research into why pit bulls have the reputation they do and also verified the statistics about pit bulls. And this is just one example of what she found. In 1982, two doctors tried to figure out which breeds caused the most dog bite-related fatalities. 74 deaths were found between 1966 and 1980. German Shepherds were at the top with 16, and then Huskies, St. Bernards, and then Pitbulls 
which were likely not pit bulls at all, with six dog bite-related fatalities. The goal of this study was to find the breed that was the greatest risk for fatal attack. But here's the clincher. The researchers didn't realize there were three pit bull type breeds at the time and several registries, the UKC, ADBA, and AKC for the Staffordshire Terrier. But the researchers wrongly looked at the bull terrier that was registered with AKC. There were only 929 registered bull terriers instead of the pit bulls 23,600 registries with the UKC alone. So this made the their calculated risk of pit bull death inaccurate and much higher than it actually was. The inaccurate data was published in the Pediatrics Medical Journal and then has been cited in 82 other scientific journals. The truth is there is no way to know how many pit bulls there are in the U.S. Many people are afraid to list pit bull as their dog's breed on registrations with the city, and many pit bulls aren't registered at all. The news coverage is also higher when there is a dog-related injury or death that is from a pit bull. And in the book, there's some pictures of dogs that have been labeled pit bulls by animal control, and they range anything from a lab to a a cattle dog-looking dog. So it really is inaccurate for anyone to cite these, this data because the data, one, isn't really there, and what people call Pitbull may be totally inaccurate as well. If anyone wants to read more about this, I highly suggest Bronwyn Dickey's book. Uh, it's full of statistics like this and very interesting information about the American Pitbull Terrier. And since no one seems to be able to identify pit bulls or American pit bull terriers anymore, we're going to talk about how that might be possible to a certain degree of accuracy. So when you see a a bully-type dog, and, well, I should back up to say that I understand the general public doesn't know the difference, and I don't really expect them to. And honestly, to be honest, I ask you a lot, like, what do you think this is? Is this Pitbull? Is this a staff? You know, am staff? Like, what is this? Right? Because I have not studied it enough to know for sure, except when I see a dog like that black dog at the shelter uh, that I sent you the picture of. I mean, to me, I was like, oh, that's an American Pitbull Terrier. That's an American Pitbull Terrier. When you see a dog that could be a pit bull or Amstaff or whatever, how do you know the difference? What do you look for to tell you what it is? They're lean. They're smaller than what you would expect. They're what we call tucked up in the rib cage. Very, very, very well muscled. Long tapering tail. And not vary a bit. Not a ginormous head. <laughs> no. No, if anything, they're they're kind of lean looking, really. I mean, to me, yeah, doesn't mean you don't get some that have good sized heads. They do, but generally speaking, and they can be as small as thirty five pounds. Yeah, I think people have um, trouble because there's such a wide variance in the breed standards and color no. and everything. Since Phyllis nor I had looked at breed standards for the American Pitbull Terrier for quite some time. I did a little fact checking 
and I'm just going to read some highlights from the American Dog Breeders Association Breed Standards and then UKC. There are definitely breed standards for the American Pit Bull Terrier. When people say that you can't really identify the breed, I think if you see a lot of APBTs, you will be able to pick them out just like you could pick out any other breed that may have other dogs that look similar. So, you know, how do you identify an American Bulldog versus a Cane Corso versus American Pit Bull Terrier? Um, there's tons of dogs that would look similar. So here's the ADBA, Heritage American Pit Bull Terrier Confirmation Standard. And again, this is just some highlights. If you guys want to read it yourself, you can go to the website and pull it up. In the introduction, it says, To truly understand any breed standard, one must know the history behind a breed's existence. So I think that's important, and we've been talking a lot about that during this podcast. Overall appearance should look like an American Pit Bull Terrier from across the ring. Well, if one argues that you can't tell which dogs are American Pit Bull Terriers, um, then I might also argue that perhaps you're not uh, fine-tuned to what the American Pit Bull Terrier looks like. I've looked at lots of photos from old books, and there definitely is a certain look to an American Pit Bull Terrier. Not saying that different mixes of dogs couldn't look very similar. They certainly could. But if you take the appearance and the behavior into account, you can get pretty close. I posted the picture of the American Pit Bull Terrier that I saw at the shelter online, and it raised such a flurry of comments as to, you know, you can't tell what a pit bull is just by looking at it. And, you know, I was spreading dangerous rumors and, I mean, all kinds of crazy things. So to verify if I was right or not, I bought an Embark DNA test and I had um, the shelter manager swab the American Pit Bull Terrier, whose name is Violet. And she's a beautiful all black dog. And we sent it into Embark and I got the test results yesterday and she came back 100% American Pit Bull Terrier back four generations. I did identify this dog correctly by sight and by temperament. If you see a purebred APBT, they definitely have a certain look. And if you look at the old books, this becomes pretty apparent. Now there are lines in there that are bigger and smaller and bulkier and that sort of thing. You know, it's just like any breed that has different colorations and things. You, you're you can get pretty close. Back to breed standards after that little detour. It also says the dog should look athletic, not bulky. The head size needs to be in proportion to the body. So we're not talking about dogs with these humongous heads in proportion to the body. American Pit Bull Terrier's heads actually are not as big as the general public may think they are. Although some degree of dog-animal aggressiveness is characteristic in the breed, unruly behavior will detract from the judge's ability to judge the animal's confirmation. The attitude, which I found interesting, 
is confident and alert, interested in things around them, not threatened by things in their surroundings, and gentle with loved ones. Major fault is a shy or timid dog. Uh, the tail is tapering to a point, and its length should be extending to the point of the hock. And then at the very end, it has the weight should be between 30 and 75 pounds. So if you have a dog that's 125 pounds, it's probably not an American Pitbull Terrier. The disqualification for the dog is man aggression. So if you have a dog that is aggressive towards humans, it is disqualified from the confirmation standard. And then if we go to the UKC version, breed standards, American Pitbull Terrier, United Kennel Club. So the goals and purposes of the standard is to furnish guidelines for breeders who want to maintain the quality of their breed and improve it. The breeders and judges have the responsibility to avoid conditions or exaggerations that are detrimental to the health, welfare, essence, and soundness of the breed. It says that the American Pit Bull Terrier is a physically active, muscular, very agile breed and has maintained breed type for over 150 years. Uh, it says quality is never to be sacrificed in favor of size. Characteristics that very clearly indicate crossing with other breeds are not to be tolerated. So I would assume by exaggerated specimens, they may mean like extra bulky dogs or dogs with large heads or maybe um, short noses that can't breathe breed as well. Later on, under general appearance, it says... This breed combines strength and athleticism with grace and agility and should never appear bulky, muscle-bound, fine-boned, or rangy. So eliminating faults for UKC are disproportionate overdone characteristics such as short legs, excessive bone, massive head, or body that would interfere with physical activity or working ability. Under characteristics, it says this breed is eager to please. They are, make excellent family companions and have always been noted for their love of children. The UKC also, rec also acknowledges that APBTs may exhibit some level of dog aggression. It says the APBT is not the best choice for a guard dog since they are extremely friendly even with strangers. The UKC considers aggressive behavior towards humans uncharacteristic of the breed and highly undesirable. Disqualifications are viciousness or extreme shyness. That's my little fact-finding mission for the breed standards. Now back to Phyllis and I talking about temperament of an American Pit Bull Terrier. Do you look at how the dog acts as well to help you figure yes. out what it is? Yes. And this is another thing that I hear often. They're stubborn. They're bullheaded. Yeah. They're difficult to train. They are assertive with humans. They're, I hate the word dominant, but people use that. They throw it around, they're dominant with people. Yeah. On the contrary, I find them one of the easiest dogs to train. A dog that would really, really want to work with a human, do something for you, be with you. Soft eye contact, middle wag tail, wiggle butt to those that they are fond of. Yeah. And 
not all over you. I picture this in front of you, soft eyes, mid tail. You know, we say their eyes should be like almond shape. They squint at you a little bit. Mm. They want to be with people. They don't want to control your space. Right. All over you. And again, these are, somebody will say, well, my, my dog was like that. Well, yeah, well, you know, there are those. There are also things that are encouraged by humans and pit bulls want to do what you want them to do. So if you encourage a pit bull, jump all over you. Right. It might do. I've, I've had actually a lot of pit bulls that won't play tug of war with me, believe it or not. Right. They won't even pick it up. As soon as I put my hand on it, I spit it out. They yeah. don't want that conflict. I've had others that I've, I've trained for, you know, disaster search and rescue work, and they want to play tug of war until the cows come home. Many of mine, uh, like Tarna, mm. Duchess, they just wouldn't. Yeah. Actually, Fu Yu, I, I took her out to a friend's place, and, and uh, you know, guy does uh, military dogs and stuff and bike work with dogs. And I mean, he tried everything to get this dog <laughs> to come after him. Everything. And she just sat there looking at him like, I don't know why this guy's jumping around. Right. Acting like that or... You know, grabbing at my mom, of course, I, I, I couldn't make it real either because I was laughing, but we both were laughing. It was it was pretty comical, but no, no, she would play tug with him, but no, as soon as that sleeve was on an arm, forget about it. It wasn't happening. Then why did I do that? Because I don't believe in that type of work yeah. with pit bulls. Personally, that's my personal preference. Because I, I, I just didn't think she would. And right. I was right. So explain a little more why you don't think pit bulls are suited for bite work and that kind of thing. Pit bulls were not bred to be man stoppers, territorial, human aggressive dogs. In a real serious situation, if their family was in danger, do I think pit bull would protect its family? It would have to be real and maybe. Mm -hmm. But it's not in their nature. A lot of them would not participate. To me, they're not, they're not bred for that. And that's the one thing that they should not do. It, to me, is show any, whether we say it's a sport or a game or whatever, any, any what I call aggression towards humans. Yeah, even in quote-unquote game. In good fun. Yeah. It just, to me, is, is incorrect. But again, that's, a, that's personal preference. Well, I remember years and years ago when I first worked here, I went to a workshop. It was a good workshop, and the person was very knowledgeable. One of the problems someone was having with their pit bull is they wouldn't stay on the bite, I think is how you oh, say it. I didn't want to. Right. And I was like, well, it's a pit bull. I mean, it, it was a really friendly dog to people. Otherwise, and I was like, well, you're kind of pushing it to do something it doesn't want to do. That's correct. And then what does that do to the overall relationship with your dog? I wonder. People starting to breed them to do more bite work and might be breeding in characteristics that weren't desired before. Well, of course. Anytime you start changing something, if you keep breeding it enough, you change it. I mean, all these, all these dogs are bred for a purpose. And then we want to try to make them something that they're, they're not. Mm-hmm. You know? Time for a little fact-checking again. So these quotes are from Richard Stratton's book, The World of the American Pitbull Terrier. I wanted to find some other references for you all about the pitbull temperament. 
in this book. And now, of course, this guy loves pit bulls. That's why he's writing the book. However, there are many, many sources that will tell you the same thing, including the AKC website when it describes when the American Staffordshire Terrier split from the pit bull and became AKC registered. Here's what the AKC website has to say in an article titled... American Staffordshire Terrier History, How the Amstaff Separated from the Pitbull by Denise Flame from 2021. She says there's no use sugarcoating the history. Pitbulls were created to be dog fighters. However, dogs bred for fighting their own kind were intrinsically human friendly. They had to be in order for these high stakes matches to run smoothly. According to the rules of the fighting pit, any dog that bit humans, whether the opponent's handler, the referee, or anyone in the vicinity in the heat of battle did not live to fight another day and was dispatched on the spot. Talking about pet dog trainers, right? And they get a call about a dog that's looks somewhat like a pit bull. I always use the term bully type dog if I don't know what it is because I don't want to accidentally call something a dog something it's not. And where I live, it could have 10 different breeds in it, right? If I don't know what it is. So someone gets a call. Oh, what's the use of them trying to figure out what breeds are in that dog? Should they try and figure out, is it a pit bull? Is it an Amstaff? Does it have other things mixed in? Does it matter to the clients? I mean, because sometimes we'll talk about this amongst ourselves. Clients, because <laughs> we're big dog nerds and they don't want to sit there for an hour while we discuss their dog. As trainers, we should try to be as accurate in the terminology that we use as possible and be mindful of it. And if I'm not sure what breed a dog is, or if it, I think it might be an American Pitbull Terrier, I will say, I think, but I don't know. Why is that important in your mind? It's important because a lot of a lot of our other bully breeds can be human aggressive and we're mislabeling a breed all the time. Yeah. One that has, you know, issues of being labeled human aggressive and it, it, it's not personally it bothers me. Yeah. I get defensive over it. It's like, <laughs> you know, I get these, I get these phone calls from people and they're going, you know, my, my 120 pounds blue pit bull just, go, wait a minute, what? You're what? Right. <laughs> no. We just learned from the breed standards that I read that most pit bulls top off at about 65 pounds. So anything larger than that is likely not a real APBT, but a mix or not an APBT at all. And in relation to identifying if a dog is pit bull or not, I've heard you say that if it's blue, it's probably not a pit bull. Can you elaborate on that? Yes, historically they're not, pit bulls are not blue. We started seeing blue dogs when we started doing registering dogs. So more likely than not, your dog is Amstaff or in some of these bigger dogs, when Mastiff is crossed in, Mastiffs can be blue. So you can see, like, Neapolitan in there. Mm -hmm. You're going to get, in a lot of the American bullies, we see a lot of blue. And mm -hmm. some of those, Mastiff. So more likely, if you have a blue dog, you don't have a pit bull. And if there is any pit bull, it is a small percentage. You can get solid blue, but it would be very dark mm -hmm. because blue black and on rare occasions, I've seen that in pit bulls, but there's also a hint of brindle, and it's for a, what I would call blue brindle, is extraordinarily rare. I can think of one or two dogs in my entire time working with pit bulls that were, were blue. It, it's undesired in breed as a standard. What about that dog I sent you the picture of? The Was that a blue brindle? Do you remember what dog I'm talking about? 
Oh, I think I do remember. Blue with the fawn stripes. So he called it Brendel. It's not necessarily blue Brendel, right? Mm. My dog Shiloh is of what? Brown and black Brendel? Yeah. And we had that one come to the workshop that I always that I always remember. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was supposedly a blue pit bull. Rottweiler, American Stafford Terrier Cross, I believe. Yeah. And human there issues. There was no pit bull in it. I mean, it's also important for owners to know what they have, if possible. If I think someone has an American pit bull terrier that is showing dog aggression, I want to educate them in how to manage that dog and what they have as well. Yeah, because it could seriously hurt another dog. So I think that's a, a good reason to try and be accurate. I mean, if someone has a dog that's black and tan with pointy ears and looks like a German Shepherd, but not really... I mean, we're not going to call it German Shepherd. We're going to call it maybe a Shepherd mix or, a, God forbid, we call a Malinois German Shepherd, right? Like, people yep. get offended. Yeah. You know, I think it's just uh, good to be as accurate as possible with people. And if you don't know, just say you don't know. There's nothing wrong with that either, because many dogs you're not going to know. For the debate about the blue color being a pit bull color, I found some information on Diane Jessup's website, workingpitbull.com, and this is what she has to say. There is no rare pitbull color. It might surprise you to learn that today the so-called rare blue pitbull is in fact not rare and not a pitbull. The blue color is a dilute of black and occurs in the American Staffordshire breed. How it popped up in those dogs is anyone's guess. Blue is a mastiff color, not a bulldog color a little bit more online about blue pit bulls and of course this is a hotly debated topic. Many people do believe that blue was not a prevalent color back in the 80s before like the 2000s. So I did a little research and found some breeds that are commonly mistaken for American pit bull terriers and they are the American bulldog, the Presa Canario, Cane Corso, Bull Terrier, Boxer, Dogo Argentino, which I get that a lot. I get people calling the rescue saying they have a Dogo Argentino, and no, it's just a white bully mix. Staffordshire Bull Terrier, Bull Mastiff, Old English Bulldog, and a La Paja Blue Blood Bulldog. It's a mouthful. I think I actually came across one of these as a dad to some puppies I fostered dogs that could very easily be mistaken for each other, but I don't think we would be as careless with these dogs as we are with the American Pit Bull Terrier and mixes and other bully breeds. The Min Pin and Manchester Terrier, the Shih Tzu and the Lhasa Apso, the Cane Corso and the American Bulldog, the Whippet and the Italian Greyhound, Husky and Malamute, Bernese Mountain Dog and Swiss Mountain Dog, and treeing walker, coonhound, and American foxhound. And I also thought the Basenji Shiba Inu, because they're from different continents, but they look similar. The Basenji is usually smaller, I believe. To be honest, if someone put a Minpin and a Manchester Terrier in front of me, I wouldn't know which one it was. But I would do some research and try and figure it out if possible. Here's another question. What is the difference between an Amstaff and an American Pitbull Terrier, and does the Amstaff have more human aggression in the breed? 
not supposed to. But like I, we, we talked about that a little bit earlier. And yeah. What I said was, if improperly bred, and a breeder does not recognize the difference between defensive, over-submissive dog, fearful dog, and breeds it as being soft. Right. They make the mistake and they end up, same thing happened to German Shepherd. They try to breed it down, make it a show dog, make it softer, make it a pet. And when you do that, if if the person bringing these dogs doesn't know what they're looking at and they breed the wrong, a softer temperament as they're looking at it, they end up with human aggression, defense, defensive. But it's not really fearful. softer. It's actually no. an unstable, fearful Correct. temperament. Yes. Can you explain more about the difference between a soft or submissive temperament and an unstable, fearful, defensive temperament? Soft temperament. Puppy's going to want to be with you, make eye contact, but not be all in personal space. Nice tail wag. Fine for moving around and checking out the room and whatnot, but not independent. And certainly not fearful, not hiding from you, not approaching tentatively fearful puppy may easily go on its back and just lay there submissively looking to someone right Mm -hmm. but you can have over submissive submission submissive urinators often become fearful and aggressive as they age there is a link between that not all of them cocker spaniels common buff cocker spaniels prone to biting there's a common link there what about recovery from a startle? I mean, to me, a submissive dog is still a stable dog and can recover from, you know, like a loud noise or something. But an unstable, fearful temperament that people think is soft uh, won't recover well from a fearful event, right? Well, you can have some puppies that just don't move when there's a loud noise. Right. They just sit there. People misinterpret people that as... Not afraid. Yeah, as an easy puppy. They think it's an right? easy puppy, but it's really just a, so afraid it's not doing anything. You can have a hesitation, a curiosity, and then a go check it out. Yeah. Versus one that just sits there versus one that moves away. It's not just part. It's not parts of it. It's, it's the whole thing. Right. Insecurities in puppies can also appear submissive to people when they're not reacting to anything that's you know around them they might approach somebody but they're just there's a stillness there they're not engaged mm-hmm. the word catatonic but they, they should be there should be engagement there if you don't know what you're looking at that can often be called submissive pliable because you can pick the puppy up and you can move it around you can turn it on its back and it just lays there puppy that is nervous might have its feet back feet are going to be tense pointing to the eye instead of draped but if the puppy's otherwise laying on its back someone that is to an untrained eye that can appear submissive and yet that tension in the legs is a is a red flag for a fearful puppy that is then eventually going to develop in some regression as it ages yeah and a submissive puppy would kind of melt into your arms when you pick them up yeah, they want to be with you. Yeah. Versus yeah. that they've been conditioned to be held by someone. Yeah. Just because you handle a puppy a lot, if the genetics are not stable, you can have a puppy that's quote-unquote trained to the test. 
And so they get used to a certain level of handling, but that also might be where you see a puppy that'll lay on its back, but the back end's going to be stiff. Mm-hmm. Or the mm-hmm. eyes are like, you know, saucers or... Right. You don't have that puppy that wants to be in that position with you at that moment. I've had quite a few really nice, soft puppies through my house. More on the submissive side, right? They don't try to take over and they're they're generally super easy because they're well-behaved. If I drop a pan on the floor or something like that, yeah, they jump, but then they quickly come back and investigate it. Versus like an unstable, fearful dog might jump and then run away to the corner of the room and not come out. I don't know if this has anything to do with anything, but I tested a litter of puppies for somebody and those puppies were, they were catatonic. Wherever you would pick them up and place them, that's where they would stay. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't move. They would just stand there. But if you put them out with their litter, they would run around the yard be puppies with each other. But the minute you pick them up and you put them in another room they've never been in, instant frozen puppy. Yeah, by themselves, which is important yeah. to do when you're evaluating puppies and dogs. And the parents met away from each other, separating the dogs, the adult dogs. Having them together is not super interested, but they approached. Uh-huh. Separated they were fearful backing away. And so those catatonic puppies were genetically fearful. And the breeder felt that she had handled them so much that they were, you know, they were going to be fine. They weren't (laughs) fine. No. That's a professional veterinarian also. Also some things that go around about American pit bull terriers and also like all these bully mixes is that they have high prey drive, short warning time and are powerful dogs and they're not suited for pets. We've definitely seen ones that are not, that are mixes. Remember the one we went to the house with the two female like bully mixes? Oh yeah, the doctors. The yes. doctors and that. plus a crazy consult. Those Don't dogs, <laughs> one of those dogs, yeah. One of those dogs was going after their kid, their baby, right? Oh yeah, yeah, and they thought the baby gate was gonna keep that from happening. Not for nothing, that dog, one of them had seven bites. And the last bite, the reason they called us was it was in the face of somebody. So they only right. got concerned after the dog bit someone in the face. Well, both of them had bitten people only. They only had a problem with the one that had bitten the person in the face. They didn't have a problem with the fact that both the dogs bit multiple people. Right. Yeah, for whatever reason, before we went in there, yeah, I had that conversation with you and I was like, I think we went back to the car. I think we told him to put leashes on or something. No, no. At the door and I was, no, it was as we were pulling into the driveway, you look at me and you say, I have this funny feeling, but if one of them gets loose and charges you, don't move. <laughs> and I didn't know you very well back then. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and sure enough, man, that one dog got loose from that guy twice and charged me. And luckily, yeah, I knew you exactly. Were on the way to the car to get a leash or something. I did, and then I was like, "Can we just let not have him hold the dog?" <laughs> yeah, because he was not a good handler, and I think the leash kept break the the snap on the leash kept breaking. But uh, well, that's what you were going to get was a better leash. Yeah. And he's like, "Oh, he's just trying to play," you know. He's uh-huh. in circles, growling at you, you know, waving at you. Yeah. Yeah. Because you told me, you're like, not even a finger. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, don't move means don't move. What were those dogs? Do you remember? One of them was a pit bull. 
That I remember. I don't remember the other one. I just remember one of them. I don't know why the other one doesn't come to mind, but we couldn't get out of there fast enough because they wouldn't listen to us. They had no interest in protecting their child. They just put their kid in a room and put a gate up and had the dogs out. Yeah. Recall the kid was behind the gate, not the dogs. Yeah. In his room, and he was two. Yeah. It's a very sad situation. Very sad. And these people were very involved in rescue. Not a dog I would have adopted out. Right. Rescue is not placing them as what they are, or worse yet, releasing. I mean, any dog that's got the potential to seriously hurt somebody, but a pit bull or any kind of bull breed that has human aggression, most of the general public cannot handle that. It's another notch in the negative for the pit bull when that happens. And it's a huge, huge issue when they're being mislabeled. You know, not for nothing. Hey, I got this great boxer at the shelter and I took it to the dog park and it killed the dog. There's no boxer in that dog. Damages the dog too. Rescue them. It could easily be conveyed that it has some dog aggression, don't take it to the dog park and educate the people versus trying to wash it under the rug and pretend it isn't what it is and then it hurts someone else's dog. That's correct. You know, or they think they can socialize out genetics. Right. Yeah. Take it, take it to the daycare, take it to the dog park. Yeah. That's not going to change. If anything, it's going <laughs> to... It's going to escalate. A bit in the wrong direction. Yeah. Correct. Because they're going to get to practice and practice all their uh, targeting and their, it's like sparring. It's like practicing before boxing match, I would imagine. Yep, it is. So. It's a mock fight versus real play. And that's another podcast we can do. Yeah. It's another thing that goes unrecognized. Oh, oh they were so playful. They, they played and played and played and played and played and played. They were best friends until they weren't because they weren't playing in the first place. Right. You know, allowing your worse yet your american pitbull terrier to spar any breed that has been bred has a history for it is genetically in their makeup that spar there is a high percentage chance of those dogs fighting in the house down the road you've trained a lot of pit bulls that have dog aggression issues Mm -hmm. so how do you accomplish making them good pets so the average pet owner can manage them what kind of training do you do? And what about... about... If we're talking about when I was rescuing pit bulls that had the potential to be dog aggressive, real pit bulls that would definitely not want to walk away from a challenge. Remember, a lot of those dogs were not instigators. They weren't walking down the street looking for a dog fight. Right. And not for nothing, a lot of dogs walking down the street making a bunch of noise, those dogs are terrified. They are in defense drive. You know, it's not... You're not going to see that. You see them walking down the street and really watching something, you got a problem. That's when I was working with them then. First of all, they were more stable. I will say that about probably a lot of dogs now. Yeah. We are actually losing our stable gene pool of many, many, many breeds for many reasons. The integrity behind breeding purebred dogs is diminishing greatly, and that is disheartening. Pit bulls that I worked with, if you look at old photos of me, you'll see a lot of those dogs in downstairs together, on leash walks together, but they were not excited. We, we did not create excitement in them. Right. I didn't get them sparring together. I didn't have them getting all worked up. They had to be in a calm state of mind because if you get them all worked up and something happens, you can, you can end up with a problem. 
Yeah. I didn't let my dogs spar. When they were out in the backyard, they had to hang out. I didn't have issues with resource guarding because that usually comes from a, well, I shouldn't say usually. I should say usually. It usually comes from an unstable temperament in the first place. Mm-hmm. So the dogs I was working with were stable. So I learned a couple hard lessons. When I first got involved in the breed, I had a few dog fights because I somebody got too excited running mm-hmm. around. But it wasn't over resource stuff. Right. Not ever. They were trained in obedience, so they would walk down the street and they had to ignore stuff. Yeah. Um, I also will say that we expected more of dogs obedience-wise to ignore things then. People didn't go, oh my God, can they say hello? I was like, we really didn't have that. If I were to back up another 10, 15 years, I'd say when I walked about my neighborhood, all the dogs were off leash running around. Neighbors were out and kids were out and dogs were out and there wasn't issues. Yeah. Now there was always that one German Shepherd in the yard that, man, you better be careful riding your bike. That house, that <laughs> oh, dog is going to chase you off the territory. But if you stayed here of, you know, house number three, right. you know, back home. Um, I'm know, laughing because that, that happened to me. <laughs> I bet it happens to a lot of people. If we were talking about the Cocker Spaniels biting the kids in the face and the German <laughs> Shepherds chasing people down the street. Yeah. And the dog catcher running down the street and that. Really, really old school, but hey, that's kind of the way it was. Yeah. Um, when I was growing up, dogs ran loose. I'd go around walking around and, and I'd find dogs along the way and put leashes on them and hang out with them all day and then cut them loose and they'd go home. I didn't know where they belonged. Dogs just hung out and there was middle, little to no conflict. And people who had pit bulls kept them locked up because they didn't want their dogs being taken away if they were Got out. still fighting dogs back in that day, right? Mm-hmm. That's just, just the way it was. We didn't have issues. Um, we didn't have fur babies then either. So things were different. So how did I keep them from fighting? They were they were exercised properly every day. They were also conditioned to be calm in the presence of other animals. If everybody was calm and nobody wanted to start a fight, we didn't have issues. Right. Because they were stable. And I had real serious dogs that came through, dogs that I took in that were... Uh, from fighting rings that got closed down and so on and so forth. Those dogs were not put into any kind of living system where their new handler did not know how to manage them. They were not, they had to be muzzled in public, they had to be muzzled in public. Right. Zero human aggression in those dogs, so we didn't have to worry about that. Right. Zero. I've never, ever, ever had a pit bull. When I was doing rescue at that level, redirect. I didn't have them where they were over the top being assertive towards humans. Mm-hmm. It just it wasn't there. And I'm not saying it wasn't there because if it was there, I didn't take them out of the shelter. You didn't take but those, those dogs. dogs in the shelter, I would go into a shelter. Last time I went into a shelter and pulled out, I evaluated 70 dogs. I was there all day. I left with her. She was what they called all of those dogs pit bulls, was probably one of the few dogs in the shelter that really was a pit bull. She had been confiscated from somebody who had terribly abused her, used her as a breeding machine, and was involved in dog fighting. Yeah. She was a great dog. And I, it took me, I don't know, maybe about four months to get her in with my pack of dogs. Mm-hmm. Never had a problem with her. But if that had been 1989... I would have not seen 70 bull-type breeds that were mislabeled. I would be lucky to see one Amstaff in years 
because they were so well-bred and so well-kept by their breeders and carefully placed in good homes and mm. didn't want their dogs ending up with dog fighters and they were show dogs and so on and so forth. It was very rare that we ran across AMSAFs. And if there were 10 of them in the shelter, it would be really hard to decide which dogs I would take into my rescue because they were all great. <laughs> That's like and, going in the uh, shelter here. I mean, look at my dog, Tana. I mean, she actually came from an abusive situation, drug bust. And her ears were cut off all the way to the to her head, you know, with cutting shears. The ears were still there, actually, when the drug bust happened. That dog, I did lots of training with her. She was a wakeful champion. She passed her TT, which, by the way, is a huge difference from your CGC. CGC, you can train dogs to the test. She passed her CGC. She was a therapy dog. She went and visited people, and she went into uh, senior living places. She pulled kids all around the neighborhood in the cart. <laughs> Now, what's the TT? And, uh, I know it stands for temperament test. Uh, TT stands for temperament test. She was tested by a temperament tester from uh, the American Dog Breeders Association, mm. ADBA. Um, and that was an extensive test. I've and, looked this um, up. It's very extensive. It, it, it is. And she passed the flying colors. She was the worst abuse case I'd ever had and one of the most stable. She thought about fighting with dogs when I got her. Yeah. She took me about six months to get into my pack. But once I, once we had an agreement about things, she was great. Actually, funny story, Bob and I were at a dog adoption event. And I was standing there talking to him. I had my back turned to him. And, and Tarna was in a downstay behind me, about six feet behind me. And Bob starts getting this look on his face. He's like, hey, you need to call your dog. And I was like, why? What's going on? And I turn around, there's a dog, like, pumping her. Okay. Oh, God. And I looked at Bob and I said, you know, that's really rude. You know, you know these group of people better than I do. You, you can ask her to pull her dog away. And he goes, but you, you, you need to move your dog. Something's going to happen. No, no, I don't need to move my dog because my dog's not going to do anything. After listening to Phyllis describe some of the things she's done with pit bulls and other dogs in the past, I thought it might be a good time to make sure we do not advocate for anyone trying this at home. We should probably make this clear. You're not recommending people go and get nine American Pit Bull Terriers and try this, right? No. <laughs> no. That wanted to do right by them, rescue them, make sure that they would get trained and be out in public and not harm another dog. One thing I was very careful of, I did not place pit bulls in homes with other dogs. Yeah. Period. I did not place pit bulls with other pit bulls. Right. I did not place same-sex dogs, if I ever did put them in multiple dog homes, it was maybe one in every hundred when I first got started that I would put them in multiple dog households, and that would be with people who really knew what they were doing. Yeah. And really followed my guidelines, which is when you are not home, they are separated. Right. Because then they were real pit bulls, too. Now when somebody goes, well, I have a bunch of pit bulls, and they're all together, and I don't have a problem... Three of them have bitten people, but they're all great at home together. So, first of all, they're probably not pit bulls, okay? Yeah. Secondly, no. And that's why they're biting people, because yeah. they're not. Yeah. And again, there's anom anomalies. There are dogs that, there are pit bulls that can be human aggressive. I'm not saying that. You've had golden retrievers in labs through training that are really dog aggressive, right? Yes. Yes. Actually, there's a, there was a pedigree of black labs there for a while that was known for killing dogs. Something else people don't know. Yeah. One of the worst attacks in the county that I live in, well, used to, was Golden Retriever. Yeah. And actually, they were on the they were on the phone with with Bob when it happened. 
oh, wow. story he can tell. But but yeah, that dog chewed its owner up like piece looked like a chewed up corn cob by the time he was done. And the golden retriever he had taken from his daughter after she got mauled. And he didn't want the dog to get euthanized. Oh. Um, the animal control unit euthanized the dog on the spot in their house. Had him tested for rabies. He was negative. He had nothing wrong with his brain. He was a very aggressive dog. The man barely survived that attack. Mm-hmm. I see lots of uh, English creams in particular with really significant resource guarding yeah. and aggression. I mean, I think um, the point is there's outliers in every breed that don't represent the breed. That, that is correct. It's another sign that we're diluting and destroying our, our good dogs. Yeah. All dogs. Another thing that's commonly said about pit bulls and other dogs with drive is, even if that drive is to harm other living creatures, is that they need an outlet for that drive. Here I'm going to have Phyllis talk about that some. Let me have you talk about pit bulls and dogs with drive needing an outlet for that drive. Right? This is what we hear. Oh, they need an outlet, so we have to play tug, or we have to do bite work, or we have to do something with these dogs to let them get their behavior out. There are a lot of things you can do to exercise physical and mental side of dogs that does not include adding any kind of conflict or aggression. And it was common in the 80s, too, and we, found, we actually found that it, it didn't work. It actually had the opposite effect, and so it was a practice that was done for quite some time, and then, and I'm sure today people still believe in it, but it failed back then. It was something that started and then stopped, which was if you had a dog that bit someone, uh, you should do bite work, so you could call it off if it ever bit somebody again. And it failed miserably because we intensified those behaviors in those dogs. And even if you can't call them off, shouldn't you bite somebody again? Like, never. Right. So I believe in capping drives to a certain degree with dogs so that they can have, be successful in life and, and not hurt something. But I also believe that there's a certain degree of outlet, and that outlet can be something positive. I exercise my pit bulls on, well, now we call them treadmills, but, oh gosh, what did we call them back in the day? Slap mills? No. Are they like the unpowered kind? Well, they the dog powered it. Really. Yeah. It was called a carpet mill. Carpet mill. Uh. You know, and, and now, you know, and, and I had to be careful because <laughs> dog fighting paraphernalia. Right. Right. At least was considered that many years ago. But, you know, treadmills were great. Weight pull was great. But you got to think about those things. The dog has to concentrate and move and use its energy. It is not getting all crazy and worked up in drive. And depending on what drive is there, pit bulls excel in all kinds of things. They can be bomb and drug detection dogs. They can be weight pull comp- competition. They can nose work. They can do nose work. They can do herding. There are so many different things they can do. They're very versatile breed. Yeah, I worked my dogs on all kinds of things. Wakeful was, was a big one for me. But of course, all of those dogs were, were also x-rayed and made sure that they were, you know, two years old, x-rayed, and in good physical condition. Pitbulls like to go out and hike. They like to swim. There's just tons of things you can do that, to me, don't use. So what are we going to do? We're going to say we have a pitbull that likes to fight with dogs. So what do we do? Put a muscle on it and let it fight dogs? I mean, no. <laughs> it doesn't need that kind of... Outlet. All right, so the photograph of the dog I just sent you, that dog has a very poor grip on the sleeve. It's a close-up of it, and I sent it again. I mean, the dog's barely got 
the tip of its mouth on that. When we talk about pit bulls and knowing they're gripper dogs, they know how to grip, they know how to grab things. That dog does not want to grab anything that's got human in it. And the human is behind the where the dog is gripping. So to me, this is not a breed that really wants to do bite work. I'm not saying that they can't do it or they won't do it. You can see that the dog is making eye contact and its ears are back. Yeah. So it really doesn't want to do that if that dog was on a spring pole or had a hold of another dog, because it actually looks like it might be redness, all family redness there. Mm. That dog would have a full mouth grip on a sleeve. You texted me something about the difference between a spring pole, a flirt pole, and playing tug. Or, like in well, this case, bite work. Well, a spring pole work. is connected to an object, typically, that is not attached to a human. Right. And that's for gripping work and strengthening up the whole neck muscles, but for the whole dog, because they're, they're tensing up as they're holding on and re-gripping. Really good, solid grip in their body is building muscle. Right. There's not, my point was, it's not attached to a human. Right. And they're not growling. They're holding on. Right. Which is common in dog fights. Noisy dogs in dog fights don't want to be fighting. They're in a defensive state. Didn't I read a portion to you about, there was something in the book about if they start growling, that means they don't want to keep going? Yeah. Which yeah, is- a dog that growls is out of the program, so to speak. Watching my do bike work with dogs, his dogs are quiet. Right. I recall him saying, a dog that growls is it's afraid and is not strong enough. And growling is defensive. The foot pole is spring up prey drive. And I don't, I don't know that they would actually be doing that with dog fighting dogs. Not to my knowledge. I could be wrong on that. But I don't believe a foot pole is used. Well, I didn't see any um, mention of it in the books that I have. But of course, I don't have every book out there, right? I've, I've seen some stuff on lore coursing. So, you know, it's a very versatile breed. So these dogs were used for hunting. They were used for, there's a multitude of things. But where, where I was going with that, they're also used for herding. Right. Which you, you can imagine using a fighting dog for herding and have it not grip the animal. It, it takes a very good trainer, and that might be where your lure coursing is coming in and controlling your prey drive about mm-hmm. when the dog grips and when the dog doesn't. And when we talk about tug of war, I'll be honest with you, when I was bringing pit bulls in, we used to, in the 80s, we bite tested every dog that came in for training, we, for a rescue. And we weren't always taking in pit bulls, mostly predominantly pit bulls, but sometimes they were mixed. And particularly if they're mixed, kind of like you cross the German Shepherd and the pit bull. Right. And that dog's had bite work. That could be a very serious problem. Yeah. We, we did all those tests with those dogs. And I'll tell you, I don't recall any purebred pit bull wanting to ever grab a sleeve. And I don't recall very high percentage, if at all, that they were interested in playing tug of war with me. Engage play just like I did with your dog, and your dog was very happy to play tug of war with me. Yeah, your dog also is mostly pit bull. Right. And again, I'm not saying that pit bulls won't play tug of war with people. I'm saying that real pit bulls had no interest in conflict with any human before the breed started getting diminished and outcrossed. Fila Brasileiros back in the day must show aggression towards the judge or they were considered you know was a flaw Mm. they must show man aggression i'd love to be Um, that judge (laughs) typically i did not see any mouthiness in puppies pit bull puppies when i first started rescuing the breed now we hear that they are super mouthy and dogs are being taken away too young which i think is part of that but pit bull puppies 
I don't see mouthiness in high percentage of them, if at all, and even adolescent dogs. It just was not an issue. This is the way things used to be. Now we have uh, turned our Molossa breeds into AKC registered show dogs, which we're trying to make pet dogs out of them, which is, in my mind, destroying those breeds also. Yes. When you take a breed that's been bred for hundreds of years and you start to breed it out with things that it has nothing to do with, a pit bull and a mastiff are not bred for anything even close to the same purpose. Right. Why would we cross them? So we cross them and then we teach them bite work. And then when they really harm a human, we go, oh my God, that was a pit bull. Guess what bit the man? Not the pit bull. Right, not and the I'm pit not bull saying side. it never happens. There are, there are bloodlines in pit bulls, such as the bully line that we discussed before, that we know that there was what we call man aggression, we call human aggression, you know, eliminated from, from things because of the propensity that they have. They're not supposed to be people aggressive, which is why they don't deserve to get that rap when it's not them biting. Right. So we have all these groups of people who want to defend the pit bull. Defend it, don't sugarcoat it. Yeah. It should show something when it's threatened by another dog. Yeah, well, that's actually in both in the breed standards of both UKC and um, ABDA, is that that is probably part of the temperament of the dog. They would face off dogs at dog shows, stack them in front of each other. Really? So that they would show, yes, when I'd gone to dog shows, so that they would see that there was keen interest in another dog in your in front of you. But remember, this is a silent breed. Yeah. It's just like us talking about, oh, we're going to go see this dog. And we use that terminology reactive now, just like resource guarding. We have all these, these words that make dogs not sound aggressive. Right. When they are aggressive. We used to call resource guarding for, uh, possessive aggression. Hey, guess what? That's what it is. Yeah. When we hear a dog is making a whole lot of noise and it's just going nuts, there's a high percentage chance that we're dealing with fear. Yeah. Occasionally we're not, but most of the time, depending on what the client is telling us, and the client doesn't know what they're looking at, and that's what I meant by that, right? Right. We know what we're going into. If we go into a dog that's had a bite, and that dog is not barking and lunging at stuff, we know we got a real serious dog, so silence is deadly. Yeah. So those dogs did not make noise. Doesn't mean that they're not at the end of a chain and they're frustrated and they can't get to something. They stand on their hind legs, and they, they watch. And some of those will do that that pitbull squeal that I can't do anymore. When you got a dog in for rescue, you would test its bite inhibition or, or by having it play tug and seeing if it would bite a sleeve on your arm? Yes, and usually I had somebody else test the dog for me. Okay, that's what I was curious about. You know, on about. rare occasions I had to test the dog myself, but, right. you, you know, that's, that's not smart when you're, you're not supposed to do that, you know? No, I would have somebody else test the dog. Okay. Yeah, that makes uh, sense because... Type of war, you know, I have somebody, you know, acting all silly and trying to play with the dog and the, and the body language is not a threat. Yeah. It's a game, right? And no interest with most of those dogs. That's how I managed having nine rescue dogs and 13 pretty serious dogs back then. Those dogs all came to me for a reason. Yeah. Actually, that white dog, you know, we say white pit bulls can be crazy. He was he, he was actually very human aggressive, that dog. That mm. was one, one pit bull I had that was very people aggressive. He was so aggressive, he went after somebody in nosebleed. Um, but he lived eight great years with us. I'd like to say we gave that dog a real good life. 
because he would have died in the shelter at six and a half months. Right. When we took him out. He was up for euthanasia. So that actually was my husband's first dog. Oh, jeez. Hey, honey, look what I brought you. It's a good way for you to learn how to handle dogs. So, <laughs> no, they don't need that outlet. Yeah, and let's just say we're not advocating someone goes to the shelter and get a human aggressive dog and keep it. Don't do that. No. Phyllis learned how to train dogs by doing all this. I think a lot of trainers do this, right? We get kind of problem dogs and we keep them and learn how to handle those kinds of dogs. I didn't know how aggressive he was when I first took him out of the shelter because I didn't know then what I knew later. Ah. I would have been able to size him up in a New York minute today. Right. I could have walked by his kennel and kept walking. Yeah. I can look at a dog and keep moving. That's when you really know you know how to evaluate dogs. Another question. Someone posted something that says that dogs do not show any form of aggression whatsoever up until two or three years of age. And then they quote unquote turn on and want to rip apart other dogs. This is not a myth created by the media. It's true fact. It's false. I disagree 100%. So this would be very similar to another podcast we did about the progression of fear aggression. All of a sudden, my dog did X, Y, Z, right? All of a sudden happens when you don't know what you're looking at that's right in front of you. And if you're an animal professional, it is never all of a sudden. You just don't know what you're looking at. And this is also how we learn. It is not a criticism to say something like this. Right. I learned the hard way. I learned over years. I'm still learning. Luckily, you helped me from learning the hard way. Too many times. They're not mechanical monsters. They're not alien form of canine. They don't have a locking jaw. <laughs> they don't suddenly turn one day. Nor do, do the golden retriever calls or the Jack Russell call or the Scottish Terrier call. We get the, the dog turned on a family member. The Doberman back in the 80s was known for turning on its owner. Uh. I mean, turning on anything. The behaviors were already there. And in some breeds, we have things called rage syndrome, mm. which is linked to seizures and dogs do things suddenly there are signs there too i don't know who said that that's very false if you have pitbull terrier as a puppy and i saw this at the shelter the other day there's a cute little puppy he's super great with people but i saw behaviors that i know he would not do well in a home with another dog because he was in a pen with a little chihuahua and he started going after it. And this puppy's maybe nine mu- nine weeks old. Yep. Real fighting line pit bulls. You have to be careful. And they can actually seriously hurt another dog at a young age. Yeah. You know, even in litters at some point, sometimes they have to be separated because they get to, they get to hurt each other. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, yeah sometimes they have, to be, they have to be separated. But what does that look like in a young puppy? Because a lot of people think, oh, the puppy's just playing or this or that right like how do you know the difference it's predatory they pounce on things they're quiet they grab they hold they're intense you know people sometimes look at it and go that the puppy really plays rough for its age Mm. well i'm thinking of those sometimes can be a lot of vocalization too a lot of gnashing and growling and grabbing at each other and that kind of thing but often with that breed they're not they're not always vocal (laughs) yeah Vocalization is usually defensive. Silence is deadly. If you have a dog fixating, watching, that's more dangerous. And they have a tendency to be pretty quiet. And when they do fight, and they also, some of them are what we call yodelers, where they're like 
Oh yeah, that. Yeah, that. Yeah, I used to be able to do it. I'm not going to try to imitate it now. Oh come on. No, I can't. I, I'm just you know, and it's intense. And a lot of those will stand up on their hind legs too when they're doing that. Mm. Well, and people will be like, oh, he just wants to say hi. Yeah. He's just frustrated. You where a dog kind of stands <laughs> up and pushes its weight into the leash, or better yet, the harness that it shouldn't be wearing. Uh huh. And it's really watching something, and you can feel the tension. That's serious. I had that one, it was a blue, (laughs) it was not a pit bull. It was some kind of mix. It had cropped ears, and I felt like I was walking a lion on a leash when I walked that dog. Because it was, and none of my neighbors thought there was anything wrong with it because it wasn't barking at other dogs, but it was fixating and stalking. I could just feel the energy coming off that dog. The bad thing was she also did that to kids oh, at a playground. I know I talked to you about this dog, but she was a weird looking little yeah, cropped would, ears yeah. and a weird, almost like a Frankenstein looking dog. I'd never been around a dog like that before. And once you have it, you know it. Like if you're paying attention, you're like, this is different. And do you remember those two puppies I had? The ones that Chardonnay kept by the fridge? And those two puppies would fight. Yes, of course, yeah. They fight. were American bulldog mixes, weren't they? I think. I mean, we never did DNA, but they would fight with each other. And they were not playing like normal puppies. And I've had enough puppies through my house to know what normal puppy like experimentation with being a meanie to your siblings looks like. You know, how they do all that when they're young. This was different. There was an intensity to it, and I, it wasn't easy to stop, even though they were like nine weeks old. It's interesting because people are like, well, what does that look like? And I'm like, eh. I mean, you just have to look at a lot of dogs, kind of. Yeah, you, you do have to look at a lot of dogs, and we have a lot of work to do, I think. Yeah. Thank you all for listening to this podcast at Rescue Dogs Responsibly. Phyllis and I do give workshops for dog trainers and dog enthusiasts. The first one is called training according to temperament and that's phyllis and i talking about how to improve your training and rehabilitation for dogs according to their individuality i also teach a workshop about fearful dogs and i have online information about rehabilitating fearful dogs at fearfuldoghelp.org